cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com, just after one o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, which means it's time for another edition of Between Two Femmes. Hello, I'm Mabale Moloy. Uh, my partner in crime, Aspasia Karras, running a little bit late this afternoon, but she should be here momentarily. Uh, just got back from Amsterdam, so we'll be catching up with her on all her travels. Um, she does get to travel a lot, so it's uh, it's definitely worth checking in with how Aspasia um, spent the last two week or so. Um, I see some WeChat messages here. Uh, Callum Smith saying, phone arrived, thank you so much. And Sauri Aruna, happy birthday, you guys rock. And yes, indeed, it is our birthday. We are turning one officially tomorrow. That is the big day. That's when we're going to drop it like it's hot and we're going to be making it rain. And, you know, it's going to be all kinds of fun, popping bottles and that kind of lifestyle. Hello, Aspasia. Hello, Mabzi. <laughs> um, so, Callum, we're so glad that you got your phone. Um, and if you would like to be like Callum, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so right now uh, with the Cliff Central uh, b- uh, birthday tomorrow. We are celebrating by giving away Samsung smartphones. We've been doing so the whole of April, and um, tomorrow is the big day. You can win just by listening out for the question on Cliff Central. Submit your answer on WeChat by tapping Connect, and then Competition on the menu. So you go onto the Cliff Central uh, official account on WeChat, tap Connect, then go into the Competition menu. If you want an upgrade or you need a a new smartphone will hook you up with a Samsung Galaxy S4. Visit cliffcentral.com for more details. T's and C's apply. And your question for this afternoon is name any unused story. Um, now, if you're not aware of what the unused is, uh, that happens right at the end of the show on the Gareth Cliff Show in the morning, 6 to 9. Um, it's basically a wrap-up of all the news stories uh, of that day. But with Something little, like the woman's news, but it's just unused. <laughs> you know, it's unused with a little bit of a of a twist, a little bit of a cheeky twist. So it's very simple. Name any unused story, and it doesn't necessarily have to be from today. It can be any story, and just like that, I'll give you that Samsung Galaxy S4. So yeah, get get messaging to WeChat. Okay then, Aspasia, welcome back. <laughs> How was Amsterdam? Amsterdam was amazing. On yeah. Monday was King's Day. King's Day. Yeah, last year it was Queen's Day, but she abdicated and gave the oh. the, the throne over to her son. So, so now it's King's Day. So what did you get up to on King's oh, Day? Oh, my word. You cannot imagine. It's like the whole city becomes a party. Oh, really? Like one big... Insane party Like They're a big like street bash The whole city though is a street bash wow. Like you cannot move yeah. For all the people in Orange <laughs> All the drunk people in Orange Yes of course And stoned people I might add <laughs> oh, wow. It is insane but so much fun it was so much fun, and I have been in recovery ever since. Oh, did you um, mm. did you indulge? Did you overindulge? No, a little bit? no, no. But it's just been in that like sort of extreme party environment. Party environment yeah. is a delight. Well, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back. Um, I don't know. I'm if sorry, you're... I missed the whole chat about um, you know. Pregnancy weight and what have you. What? What are you what, talking about? What are you talking about last week? Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Oh, last week when you went here and I did the show by myself. Yes, yes, yes. We were talking about um, 
fit and healthy pregnancies. Yes, and you missed our talk, which was, uh, you know, quite dramatic, uh, which involved um, vaginal... Vaginoplasties. You know, escaping. Oh, okay, so yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> but now we're back together. Like the now happy, we're back together like, like the happy family. Like the happy family that we are. And we're going to do the women's news, Yes, are we? we are. Let's get straight into it. There is no time to waste. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get straight into the story. Um, I think it was a day or two ago that we discovered that um, a, group, yeah. a group of 200 girls, including 93 women, were rescued by Nigerian milita- uh, by the Nigerian army. But um, these are not from, the girls. Well, this is the thing. That um, we were wanting to bring back. No, these, unfortunately. <laughs> these are a separate batch of girls. Well, I mean, this is Which just, nobody spoke about. This is just an indication of how dire the situation is in Nigeria involving Boko Haram. These young women are taken against their will. They're turned into these sex slaves. Horrific things end up happening to them. And, um, I mean, it's, it's more than a year since, you know, the whole hashtag bring back our girls. Yes, there were 200 girls that were rescued, but unfortunately, these not does, the Chibok girls. This does not include the, the, the Chibok girls. So the troops rescued 200 abducted girls and, and 93 women. women. Yeah. Um, sure. Boko Haram abducted 276 girls from a secondary school in Chibok. On the uh, 14th of April last year, 57 girls managed to escape, but 219 remain oh, in captivity. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very sad, but now I've got some good news. <laughs> Apparently in a report last week, the Shriver report, which was an insight into the 21st century man, uh, some 34% of hetero men want a wife who's independent. The bad news is that if you had a daughter uh, with that very guy, his preference for that trait in your offspring would nearly double to 66%. So men want their daughters to be more independent than their than wives. Than their wives. Okay. Oh. I don't know what that means. Is this logical? Look, I can <laughs> I can understand because, you know, as a father, your protective instincts kicks in. And so you possibly want the absolute best for your daughter, which includes her being an independent woman so that she's not taken advantage of by the next man. Um, it's interesting, so, though, that they'd want different characteristics in their daughters to their wives. Yeah. And then 72% of men said that they valued intelligence in their wife. Mm. But 81% wanted intelligence for their daughters. So I think they want to see their genetic input, like, sort of playing out. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, that, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense. That whole, <laughs> I'm invincible thing and let my, my spawn be better than me and, and, and that kind of thing. And here's an interesting thing that came out. 45% of men value an attractive wife, while only 19% are concerned about their daughter's looks. That's that's weird for me. It's so interesting. Um, is it be- so? They'd rather have strong daughters, strong, intelligent, feisty daughters. Is it because in their minds, if their daughters aren't exceptionally attractive, then they won't be? I mean, they won't attract a lot of unwanted advances from. <laughs> they won't have to deal men. with it at all. <laughs> well, speaking of the modern man, have you heard of Broga? 
No. What uh, is this broker you speak of? It is yoga for men, Aspasia, <laughs> because apparently normal yoga isn't good enough. If you're a man, you have to do broga. Men <laughs> who crave the benefits of yoga but recoil at sharing the experience with a roof full of women are turning to broga, which is the oh latest trend that's catching in the U.S. Broga studios are popping up all over the place. Um so here's the thing about broga is, um, you know, these men say that, well, they're intimidated when they're in a class full of women because a lot of the times these women are bending and twisting their bodies into positions that the men can't do because women are more supple, more flexible in that way. So they feel a little bit intimidated by their yeah. whole thing. So now they just want a space where they themselves can be by themselves and then they don't have to feel like they're making fools of themselves or they don't need or they don't feel pressured to impress us, these women. So um, enter Broga. That is just mysterious. Over 200 Broga instructors are now operating in at least 22 states in the United States. Broga is uh, is taking is taking over. So there you go. <laughs> um, and to conclude our women's news. Yeah. Um, Miss Piggy is to receive a feminist award. Oh, yes, she is. Miss Piggy from the Muppets. Yes, and she is going to be honored by the Brooklyn Museum Sackler Center <laughs> <laughs> with a first award, which yeah. celebrates female trailblazers. Oh. This is so weird for me that a puppet is to receive such. Um, she is joining a renowned list of past participants such as Toni Morrison, uh, former Supreme Court Justice of America Sandra Day O'Connor, Etc. This is just totally mystifying. Mm. But Miss Piggy, they say, is um, she'll be interviewed by Gloria Steinem, great feminist, when she receives the award on June the fourth. Right. And uh, she embodies the spirit, determination, and grit, and has taught millions of people valuable lessons about overcoming obstacles, and has done so with the reddest lips. On her constantly in the history of red lips. <laughs> a strong, independent, body positive, and unabashed extreme femme. There you go. Okay. <laughs> uh, congratulations, Miss Piggy. It seems you're going to be in esteemed company. You know I love our women's knees jingle. <laughs> and when you're not here, then I have to play, I don't know, Obama Dollars, Michelle Obama with Oprah Dollars. It's very mysterious why I do that. What? Yeah, that's what I do because I can never find the jingle. You know what? It's fine because uh, we, that way we get to add bits of each other's personality. We get to inject bits of each other's personality in the, into the show. Into the women's knees. If it sounds a little bit different every now and again, I think that's okay. Okay, so Aspasia, tell us about our guest today and then we'll go to a song. Our guest today, who is sitting here looking at me most worriedly. Is that a, even a word? Most worriedly. Most uh, concernedly. <laughs> Don't be worried. Is the lovely, um, frankly iconic Jody Stinson Enick. You, oh, you do go by the double barrel. You know what? I, I was trying to, my husband's now not so happy with me using the double barrel. So Uh-oh. I think it's been long enough for people to get used to just the, the married name now. So I have dropped the Stimson, but a lot of people still know me as that. So, so, and the reason they know you is because, I mean, you started your fabulous career in fashion as a sort of top South African model, a muse to say nonetheless to several people. And we'll get on to that. <laughs> well, then you became a sort of iconic stylist. 
And subsequently to that, you have started uh, what is basically the top agency in Johannesburg. Well, thank you. Um, very nice of you to say that. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> fashion agency. And that, so that is, we yeah. thought we'd give people the lowdown because we want to know what it takes to get <laughs> into that agency. That is quite the introduction. So we'll get straight into our conversation with Jody right after this. Cliffcentral.com. And don't forget to message through to WeChat for your chance to win that Samsung Galaxy S4. The question for this afternoon, name any unused story. Uh, tap on connect on your WeChat and then competition on the menu and give us that answer. It's Maroon 5 on cliffcentral.com with another edition of Between Two Femmes. Welcome to it. <sighs> Catch my breath there for a second. Jody, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks so we're going to be talking all things related to the modeling industry. Uh, you are such fashion, fashion, because okay, Lamppost is actually, yes. represents all sorts. Photographers, um, makeup artists, basically the top people working in Joburg. Okay. So which I think is really interesting because yeah. what I want to know is what does it take for Jody to take them on? Mm. Yeah. Oh, what are you looking for? That's the big question. How right? do you crack the knot? <laughs> yeah. Well, when it comes to our creative team, which are photographers or stylists, makeup artists, you know, it's important that they have had some experience in the industry, whether it be interning, you know, with um, some top people. Um, also, building a portfolio is incredibly important, and you know, also very important is the caliber of their work you know we've represent uh, the top end people and we're very proud of that and try to keep that i've always wanted to know how you turn people away um politely because it's it's one of the most difficult things in the world to say to somebody look i don't think that your work is good enough how does that conversation unfold well i think um with everybody you can give advice mm. you know and um normally that's what i try to do if i see someone has potential but they're not quite at the point where they can join you know some an agency like ours i'll try and point them in the right direction whether it be to intern with photographers or different makeup artists or just a general advice. I mean, I'm very much for trying to build new talent. So, you know, I love to offer that. And it is hard to turn people down, but um, I think they have to realize that there are ladders to go through to build yourself in the industry, and it doesn't happen overnight. No. Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> Perhaps we should touch a bit on, like, your personal history because – <laughs> yeah, so it my, also yeah. didn't happen overnight, but there there is a, a path to get to the top. No, exactly, and I, I mean nothing happens without your ten thousand hours, as Malcolm Gladwell liked to say. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, before you become an expert in anything. I mean, I was fortunate that you know, from a teenager, I was a model. Uh, from there, you know, when I got, I actually finished my career at about twenty three, so I was still doing a bit of work, but. You know, I'd crossed to the other side of the camera by then. So each step for me was learning sort of the different areas of the industry. And I was very fortunate in that way. Um, of course, uh, you know, there wasn't an, uh, an ability to intern with certain people at that stage. But it was hard work and I learned on the ground how to become a stylist and worked on my craft and did that for 15 years before turning my attention to something else. So, Jody, tell me about the the places that you've been to because I imagine that you you must have traveled 
a, a lot in in you, throughout your career. Yes, the, the world is literally your playground. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, listen, you are fortunate, um, you know, especially being a model and a stylist uh, to see incredible places, and that is probably one of the biggest advantages. And make no mistake, you work when you get there. Mm. <laughs> not a holiday. Yes, you do. <laughs> it's not a holiday. You may so. be in a very glamorous or glorious place, but you're basically waking up at the crack of dawn to get the first light. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then um, yeah. <laughs> hanging okay. around late at night, editing the stalls. It just goes on and on. Yeah, correct. I mean, uh, I, I worked on a quite a long project for South African tourism, which was uh, really amazing. And I got to see, funnily enough, I've, I've traveled a lot overseas, but I was so fortunate to see so many places in South Africa, which really inspired me and was so beautiful. So, yeah, overseas obviously is great, but local is also good. <laughs> the, uh, the, most of us normal folk, and I'll tell you why I say normal, is because we kind of view supermodels as these super beings. You know, you're always so tall and statuesque and you're beautiful and glamorous. And it's just such an unattainable um, thing for, for, for the rest of us when we think, oh, if only I could look like that. Um, the pressures that must come with having that much attention focused on you because that's that's part of the job. Yeah, correct. And I mean, uh, you know, the competition is fierce in the modeling industry. So uh, more so than ever, I think, you know, with the introduction mm. of more real looking models, not just the beautiful girls. That's what we wanted to discuss yeah. today mm. okay. in a bit. Like, but essentially, there's definitely, is there a trend towards more interesting looking or more sort of real looking people. For sure. I mean, I think this has been happening uh, when I started Lampost, actually. A big part of the division of Lampost was our character company. And our character company was based on unusually beautiful people. I'd like to call them that. Mm -hmm. Now, it's actually quite commonplace, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, You'll find on our books, beautiful tattooed, dreadlocked, uh, unusual hair, identical twins, you know, something that marks them as quite unique and the, with a personality to mm. go with it. And I think, you know, w- when you look at the models now that are quite becoming quite famous, like Binks Walton is a perfect mm. example. I mean, she's unusual. You know, she has a big social media profile. You can see that, you know, um, the girl's got a bit of spunk and charisma. So people like to see that and they don't just want to see the beautiful face, you know, anymore. And I mean, when, when we talk about models being more real, uh, are we talking about moving away from the previous strict restrictions? Like you have to be above this height or, or you can't be shorter than this height. You know, your, your, your hip measurements must be so much. Does that mean that we're moving away from, from that kind of thing when we're talking about more real models? Well, yes. I mean, for sure, there's still a place and there always will be for the tall, statuesque, beautiful models. I mean, you know, that will always be there. But the fact is that people are embracing Slightly different figures, more unique people, and I think that's fantastic. Um, and I, I love that. I mm. mean, I mm. find that uniqueness inspiring to me, and that's probably why I represent 180 of them. <laughs> 180 <laughs> unique people. Yeah. Unique people. <laughs> that's a lot of people to have in your books. I know. Are, a lot. And are you finding <laughs> that there's like a shift in the casting? Um, obviously, for adverts. Yes. Um, but you do a lot of. Yeah. No, for sure. Are people looking for something that will stand out? Yes, for sure. Because I mean, ultimately, it, it was interesting to me because I saw yesterday that um, Victoria's Secret had announced their new 10 faces. And all 10 
Well, firstly, there was a lot of social media sort of interest in it because obviously people are really interested in Victoria's Secret and it has come up repeatedly in in our women's news. Yeah. But um, people re- reacted very badly to the campaign, The Perfect Body, and there mm. were all these like sort of campaigns that came against it. But they have now sort of just appointed 10 new women who look pretty much as you would expect. Of course. Which is really interesting. I was thinking mm. this is maybe their opportunity to appoint a plus size model. Yes. And then if we get into the plus size, here is the question. There are these girls who are saying, well, no more plus size. There's that hashtag which um, they're running the campaign to say, actually, plus size is a ridiculous thing. This is all models or all sizes. Is that actually true? I mean, here is somebody who you're, you're working in this industry. Mm. How true is that? Because, I mean, samples do not come in all sizes. No, no. and unfortunately, you know, um, when you, especially when you, you're dealing from a designer side, let's say anyone who does a, a fashion week or has been to a fashion week or has a look at fashion TV, most certainly, will know that, um, I don't want to be controversial, but let's say they're using mainly a thinner model. Be okay. <laughs> <laughs> whichever way yeah. you want. You know, it's, it's always been the case that they want to show their collection on a thinner frame. I'm not saying a thin, thin frame, but a thinner frame. Um, and I think in the most part for possibly their designs, it hangs better on mm-hmm. that type of body. So let's say a plus size, perhaps you would di- design a different kind of collection. So with that in mind, um, I think that the skinny girls will always be around and they will always be featured on the fashion weeks. And yeah, so I know we're going to raise that question now. (laughs) Well, I mean, part of, part of what I often hear women saying is, you know, they'll be looking at a woman and then they call her curvy or they call her plus size. But then you're looking at this woman and she's still smaller than, than the average woman. She's still smaller than you. And so you think to yourself, but how could they call her plus size when she's not even you know, bigger than me, even. Yeah, that is odd. Yeah, you only think of plus size really as the curvy girls, I guess. But yeah, yeah, that's strange. And and um, well, because they were, I was looking at like sort of seventies pictures mm. yesterday. Mm. When I host a little seventies party with my girlfriends, <laughs> and we were getting a mood board because <laughs> you yeah. can dress up, right? So that we it's could all about dress the dressing up. up. That is so <laughs> you. Seventies so models. Have no boobs. So when you look at kind of the like sort of, and that is actually the like sort of moment really when I think this idea of what you kind of like, it started with Twiggy. Yes. But really there is a fashion sort of idea of what a fashion boob looks like. And it's actually, yeah, I thought it was interesting. A fashion boob is not. What does a fashion boob look like, Aspasia? Tell me. A fashion boob is just not big. There is no boob. It's just no boob. It's It's not Kim Kardashian's boob. Nobody in fashion ever wanted like sort of plus size boobs. Let's put it that way. And so I think that's what's interesting is that like there's this like contradiction in what popular culture wants, mm. which is these like sort of Kim Kardashian bodies. Mm. And then which also it's a fake body. I mean that's not real. Yeah. It's totally like sort of it's been plasticated. Wor- yeah, it's been plasticated. Wor- is that a word? <laughs> it's been worked on, it's been sculpted. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's like sort of fake boobs. 
totally happening there and a fake bum because I'm going there. That is not I, I, I a real bum. I was about bum. to say, do you really think that? Hey, yeah. Oh, she's, okay. I do. Wow. I do. I think that's a, bu- a fake bum because it's definitely grown quite a lot in a completely strange way since she started. Well, you know, I mean, as like sort of, you know, Paris Hilton's sure. sidekick. Right, right. So this is like a fake body. It's mm. like not real. And she would be a hard the body same to way. dress right now. I mean, she would have to have custom, I would imagine. I mean, I given her status, does. she has everything <laughs> custom made. But I mean, let's say you're an average person yeah. and you don't have that kind of budget. Yes. I mean, that's quite difficult. Jody, we, we, we've <laughs> seen this happen in, in, in modeling and in fashion. Um, for decades, you know, once upon a time, that whole Kate Moss waif look was in, and then Curvy was in, and then, you know, now and there's this there's this move away uh, from, uh, for example, in France, they're saying, you know, you can't have underweight models. We will start fining modeling agencies mm-hmm. for booking underweight models, that kind of thing. These changes and these trends, do they happen organically, or is it more as a result of pressures? From the rest of the world saying, hey, listen, you know, this, yeah. we don't, we're not happy with this thing that's happening in the industry. Change it, fix it, do something about it. How do these trends and changes happen? Well, I think with regards to that particular subject, um, and it is a controversial one. I mean, I remember when I was 15, 16 and I'd been in modeling, I was tall, lanky. Um, and I could eat like a horse. And, <laughs> and it, most people would say, and throughout my whole teens thought I was anorexic. And I think, you know, when you're a long bodied, thin, tall people, which a lot of those models are, I mean, uh, it's actually your metabolism. So less about I'm trying to diet and try to be a plus minus two. Um, I think it's a little unfair to sort of lump all the girls in it. I do agree that they shouldn't be dieting. Um, yeah, well, that's thin shaming in the same way that you have fat shaming. Yeah, exactly. Um, and oh. I think they've really kind of taken a little bit, gone a little bit over the top, and especially for France. I mean, probably the Parisian di- designers like the thinnest girls. That's the irony. Well, they're the <laughs> ones that are actually producing the smallest samples. Yeah. When you actually look, because, I mean, a lot of it comes down to sample size. So when you have to put a girl into an item that has come from a French design house, design house yeah. and it's the sample, the sample is teeny tiny. And so if you want to shoot those things, which you do, obviously, uh, as a fashion magazine because mm. they're advertising, then you have to find a girl who'll fit into that. And essentially, that's a teenage girl. And mm. I think that's what's interesting is that maybe we're having this... Um, conversation because it's maybe for me I've always thought maybe this debate is about people don't want women to grow up into women like becoming womanly implies uh, maturity it implies all sorts of things so Mm. maybe the fashion industry is just about keeping us all in a and and I am responsible for this too (laughs) on all in our little schoolgirl outfits yeah yeah that we're almost infantilizing ourselves. We kind of like idealize that moment before we become mothers, women, um, mature. Mm. And, and, and that's and, and the then, glamorous moment. That's the moment. And in a, in a sense, it's the height of youth. It's yeah. the moment where we're most beautiful. So essentially, all where we've, I mean, maybe it's just genetics. Maybe it's just evolution. Mm. And that's what, the fashion industry is reflecting. People are reflecting that moment where you're at the height of your most fertile. 
Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, well, that's, about that. That's, 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 quite, <laughs> that's quite a it's statement deep, to make. Deep, no, but I've been thinking about it a lot. It is deep, and I'm, and I'm trying to process it. And um, look, I don't think that what you're saying is far-fetched because – you know, again, uh, the, the schoolgirl scenario is, you know, it's, it's, um, it's portrayed as sexy and it's idolized, you know, by, by men. And it's, but it's not necessarily it's, the schoolgirl scenario. I mean, I was, well, I mean, younger, younger girls. Yeah. But ladies, seeing as how you are both in the fashion industry, let me ask you this thing about sample sizes. I mean, first of all, who gets to decide what the actual size is? And why does it change from being a size two or once upon a time it was a size two and now it's a size zero? I mean, how, how do these things work? Who, who makes these calls in the industry? The designers. Mm. I mean, they would, they would also, I guess, realize what their, who their buyers are and, you know, what quantities buy in the smaller sizes. Otherwise they wouldn't be making them so small. I mean, it comes from the fact that, let's say from the ramp, they want it to look amazing, look the best that it can look. So they'll make a size that fits the models beautifully. From then on, it's your customer base. So let's say a certain jacket, which is very fitted and suits a smaller frame, they won't make up to a size 30. You know, because mm. um, it doesn't make any sense. So I think, you know, we have always known that they've made smaller sizes from the beginning of time. I don't think that's really changed <laughs> so much. Yeah. But I, I do think it starts with the designers who are producing clothes. Uh, they produce the samples at that size. But I mean, who their customer is, is a very good question. The, well, that's the million dollar question because. I mean, <laughs> well, I, it's very interesting. I mean, I was, as we said, in Amsterdam. Yes. Now, I rode around Amsterdam for a week on a bicycle. So everyone is riding bicycles in Amsterdam. It's fantastic. Mm, it's you great. really, you are not in danger in Amsterdam. It's oh, not um, traffic then. That sounds heavenly. Are, no, truly, it is heavenly. And so I was riding around looking at everyone and truly, they are all very thin. So I thought now you've got these like sort of brands that are selling to these thin people in Europe and the French also very thin Mm. and the Italians are truly super thin when you Mm. actually look at the sizing. It's very mysterious. They eat all the pasta but they're still terribly thin. (laughs) So that is their cut. That is the way they are physically made. So you've got these brands who are making clothes for what they know. What they know. And I think that is where the tricky part comes in. When they move into other markets, they find it mystifying. I mean, I went and had a sneak peek at the Dolce & Gabbana store that is opening this afternoon at 4 in Santon in the Diamond Walk. And I was astounded, Uh firstly, by the size of the thing. Why? What what was Bigger than Edgar. Oh, oh, you mean the actual size of the of the store? The okay. size of but the store. But you were talking store. about the sizes I mean, of the clothes. No, <laughs> but it was interesting to me because I saw that the sizes of the clothes that they've put in there are there are sizes for everyone. So they've actually thought about catered for. They've thought about their market yeah. and where they're going. Well, you have to because then otherwise, who's going to buy your stock if you're not catering to the sizes that are. That are applicable in this country, then who is who is going to buy your, your clothes then? But I've always been fascinated. Sometimes I go into a store and I see a style that I think only a thin person could wear that style, and then it goes up to a size twenty mm. or twenty two, and I I can't imagine that anyone would look flattering in it, and you know that particular size. Mm. And I'm fascinated because there's always like a lot of stock, so there's not a lot of thought given to the fact 
certain styles may not suit certain body shapes, you know, the bigger you get, mm. which is very strange. Which is uh, in itself is also very a very touchy, touchy uh, subject. Well, because maybe you can just wear whatever you like. Well, I mean, this, you know, this. <laughs> Which I do believe. I think that people can, in fact. For sure. I suppose I'm thinking of with yes. a stylist brain. So yes. I'm thinking I would like to make you look, look the best great. you can. And I wouldn't have thought that shape would look great on a bigger size. And I'm just saying that purely because it's hanging on a hanger, mm. let alone being on a body. So. Uh, all right. Well, Jody, let's, let's tap more into your stylist braid now. I mean, earlier you were talking about, um, you know, local and how that's, that's a lot more exciting. So let's, let's talk about your, 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 your work and your experience as, as, as a stylist and maybe, um, how that whole scene has changed and evolved here at home in South Africa. I mean, once upon a time we used to take our cues from the fashion capitals of the world, but we know for a fact that, you know, homegrown, um, Creations are all the rage right now. Completely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's great how we st- we're supporting and probably even more so local fashion. And I think that's the way it should be, you know. And as you said, uh, local designers understand the shapes of different people that live in South Africa. And I think that's really important. And, you know, we're trying to make it something that's a little bit more unique. We're flooded by now garments mm-hmm. that we can get anywhere in the world. You know, we have the big brands just the same as you do when you go to a- any other big city. So we're fortunate. Now we can actually sit back and say, well, you know, I don't mind getting a little top from that store, but actually I want a little bit of local with this mm. and mix it up and make it very unique. And I think that's a really important thing that's coming through today, you know, not wearing a whole kind of trend from head to foot. Yeah. Um, but that was what was also interesting for me when I was in Amsterdam is that all the stores were the same. Every single store you could walk in and you could basically the looks were interchangeable. Obviously not in the high end designer stores but the like sort of middle of the range um from scotch and soda which we have right through to i don't know h&m everywhere Mm. the clothes looked identical you could come out from anywhere and have like one and you know same 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 look and i thought that is the delight of south africa is that we really do have you can actually craft a look that is completely different. Yeah, completely. And we're so fortunate. I mean, we have amazing jewelry designers, you know, um, across the board and accessories, not just garments. So I think those are the people to, you know, really, we must really support, um, and give them our full. I mean, I know Spazia often wears uh, garments from South African designers, and I'm yeah. sure overseas you get just as noticed as anything else you wear. <laughs> <laughs> I felt very strange, though. I felt a bit like over the top. Really? In yes, Amsterdam. No, in Amsterdam. They're very, under, they're undercover very, there. very <laughs> undercover. And so they are in France, interestingly enough. People think that, oh, it's like, these are not, I think that we are probably like as flamboyant as maybe the, the British. The rest of the world is not flamboyant in oh, the really? same way. But don't, really you, interesting. don't you think it's also because in Amsterdam, you're not going to be taking a car. You're going to get on your bicycle. Yes. And in London, you'll go in the tube and in Paris. So, so you, you don't really, when you're sitting, I mean, I notice whenever I'm in London and I'm sitting on the tube, for example, no one wants to look at you, let alone you want to be noticed. So yeah, <laughs> you don't want do, to blend they in. They do dress up in, in London. In London, there's a definitely a different, like they're, they're not scared to like embrace the crazy latest fashion. Um, 
but in in Amsterdam and Paris, it's like a very like sort of boho, quiet, understated, chic little boots. It's it's it yeah. was fascinating to me, and it's just about quality. So you can enter the very same look at various levels, but you'll just um, end up looking the same, <laughs> just more expensively or less expensively. Yes. Actually, well, I mean, I suppose uh, in Holland there are a lot of quite conservative people. Actually, sure. I mean, I, the only only Dutch people I know who are really good friends are quite crazy. So yes. I think I know the other end <laughs> of that scale. <laughs> it's always good to have at least one or two crazy people in your circle. I think. But now, tell us a bit about um, the agency. Was it very tough setting up? Like a business like this. I mean, it is a competitive business. Mm, it's, yeah, it's a competitive business. And I think having been a freelancer in whatever capacity, let's say I was a model and then a fashion stylist, you know, you don't um, have the education to learn how to run a business. Mm. So I, I actually uh, went through from the basics, you know, I, I did a business plan. Did you? <laughs> so I did a business plan. So I thought, okay, I'm going to lay this out and actually do this correctly. And, you know, I had wonderful support. I had a great husband who's like my biggest fan behind me and it was a risk and it was a lot of hard work. I had a lot of late nights for years and, um, but I think it's like anything. Dedication pays off. I really love the people that I work with. I'm inspired by them. They challenge me every day. My shoots, my clients challenge me every day and I love it. I wouldn't change it for anything. I mean, each day is something different. Jody, uh, paint a picture for me, if you will, about the, 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 the variety of people that you represent because, you know, immediately when one thinks of an agency, they're thinking, oh, well, it's probably just carbon copies of, you know, these very attractive, hot, uh, skinny young girls, uh, you know, the, the models. But yes. I mean, the, you represent a wide variety of people who come in all shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, yeah. with, with tattoos. And I mean, it's, it's really quite diverse. Yes, correct. Um, well, let me give you a bit of background. When I was styling, I used to collaborate a lot and work a lot for Collezioni, Sport and Street, which, um, I did that for quite a few years, and during that period, I would have to go out Tell and find what Collezioni is. Yeah, Collezioni yeah. is a fantastic uh, Italian magazine. Okay. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, yes, <laughs> fashion <laughs> and culture, uh, especially sport and street, which was kind of more the cutting edge and uh, very edgier culture. It is an amazing magazine. It was I was very fortunate to to actually work with them for quite a long time, um, and during that period, I was. I was looking for unusual models, mm-hmm. um, unusual people, and I kept on sort of going out and having to scout people for my shoots. Um, and it was all about street culture, those shoots, so it would be very much about what their vibe was. And I fell in love with, actually, the kind Ooh, of people that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And then, um, actually, subsequently, you know, we were using the same kind of people for a lot of um, ad campaigns, MTN. All of the cell phone providers yeah. started jumping on the bandwagon um, in a way. And it just became something that is actually now the norm. So um, when I started Lamppost, um, it was very much about the characters at that stage. Um, you know, it was something that I really loved. We still did the styling. All of that was a big part of it. But I grew the character base with really amazing people. And they're all kind of handpicked, you know, um, which is so great. So what do you look for? Yeah, I mean, mm. when you say you're looking for an unusual person, what what does that what does that entail? Yeah, so I guess when I whenever I interview somebody or uh, Gugu, who's my casting agent, we we definitely look for a beautifully unusual look. You don't have to be six foot tall. Um, I think it helps that you have 
very interesting uh, personality. I mean, that for me is important because it actually comes across on the camera. I think if you have some kind of su- substance, whether you study, but you're studying, uh, whether you are working at something interesting, whether you're a musician, whether you're a skateboarder, graffiti artist, you know, I think you come with a little bit more substance than someone that's just going to stand there. And I absolutely mm-hmm. don't like anyone who po- is posy at all. I like them natural, very natural. We don't photograph them. Anything but natural in how they arrive. So that for me was all a prerequisite for kind of the person I was looking for. Sure. <laughs> Which is fabulous. And then uh, in terms of the photographers that you represent, uh, how well, do you I'm, I'm very lucky with the photographers that we represent. I think you've got the top people in. Yeah, I also think so. I mean, really, they're very inspiring guys and girls. Um, and it's quite interesting because I think um, whenever you think of photography, it's it's a tough business for women photographers, actually. Um, why, why is that? I still think, I'm not sure why, but it's certainly in advertising. I think that there's still this kind of move still towards male photography. Um, I think it's something that is changing, um, but it has been slow, I will mm-hmm. admit. And I don't think there's any difference to hiring a woman or a man, but obviously there's a different way that they see things. They're getting better. I mean, there are some really good female directors in advertising. Yes. I, but I, I, but I think it's that they still don't do tough. enough. They know? don't do enough yeah. because when you go down to the Lurie's, which I have on mm. occasion, although most of it is a blur. Yeah. Isn't <laughs> it for everybody? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you like, um, you do see that the vast, it's definitely an industry that's skewed towards it is. men. Yeah, it is. And it's strange and, and that's directing, which I think is another tough part yeah. of the industry. And, you know, we don't do film. Um, we stick to stills photography and yeah, I think, you know, when I put up, um, our photographers against some men, wow, do they choose the women all the time or the male all the time? I think it's generally more men mm-hmm. and, um, that's just a sad fact of the way it is. And I'm, you know, hopefully that will change, but not getting away from the fact that they are all great. Yeah. I'm very proud of, of the talent we have. Um, and I know Espazia has worked with quite a few of our guys and girls, and they are incredibly, incredibly talented people that I'm fortunate to work with. So if you're an aspiring young photographer, aspiring mm-hmm. uh, model, aspiring makeup artist, stylist, stylist, yes. what is your advice? Well, um, and is it different for any of those? Yes, yeah, it's different for all of them. I mean, where, where does one start? You know, there's me and my camera, and I'm thinking, I need to find work. Where do I begin? How do I start? As a photographer. Yeah. Um, well, definitely it's important to have uh, either a blog or a website. Get that going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, you know, well, even some of the young photographers that we've uh, taken on, they are very good at being um, creative and shooting often. So they are crafting their skill all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're young and if you've just come out of college as a photographer, it's practice. important <laughs> that you practice. And also intern with the really good guys. I mean, you know, there's never a better opportunity to learn but from a fabulous photographer. And, you know, as I always say to the younger guys, you may understand what photography is, but do you know the business of photography? And that is how to interact with Mm -hmm. your client. There's so much to learn. You know, there's so much more than just the photography on shoot and the post, you know, the post-production and the final images that are given. It's how you relate to a client. It's how you interact with them. It's how you show your ideas. So there's so much to do. 
And uh, you know, I've I've always wondered because you 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 look at um, somebody who wants to have a career as a stylist, for example. Yes. And I mean, how how big is that pool in in South Africa, and how much work are these people guaranteed? Because you know, it's not like Hollywood where Oprah has a stylist and then Christina Aguilera has a stylist and then Mariah Carey yes. has a stylist. Everybody has a stylist there. But well, here, that's a pretty recent thing um, mm. that they all have stylists. Is actually. it? Okay. Yeah. But I mean, it, I'd say it's in the last ten years that you found that like. The Hollywood, the ubiquitous Hollywood stylist has become a thing. Mm. You can actually see it from the pictures because yeah. when they were taking pictures in the like early 2000s, they were not that styled. No, and you, you know that it's even on social thing. media now they have to look yeah. perfect because yeah. it's yeah. going to live there forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, with the, nothing's ever guaranteed in the freelance market. Mm. I think. As I said before, and I think judging from my journey, um, it's all about hard work and talent. Um, and also networking, meeting the right people, and be prepared to do the hard yards. There's no easy way to get into any industry. Um, you have to go up the ladder slowly and learn your craft. So internship seems internships seems to be your yeah. bottom line. Hey. <laughs> no, it is, and assisting. And you know, um, if the intern you know turns out to be really great um, at what they do, then they start assisting and they get paid for that. So, mm. and that is a great way of getting into the industry. And slowly by doing that, they'll be building their book at the same time, their portfolio. You know, and learning the ropes themselves and developing their style, which I think, you know, a lot of good stylists have a certain style about them, which is quite cool, which is what they're known for. Now, I mean, let's, let's take it from the point at which somebody wants to approach you because they're looking for representation. Yes. What is sort of, what is the checklist that these people would need to have gone through for you to consider them and to say, okay, um, I'd like to work with you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a checklist on the website when, you know, we're on our website. Like, I think I'm pretty casual, actually. <laughs> um, you know, we get a lot of characters wanting to join our agency and what we do ask from them is to send in a photo, a little bit about themselves, what they do. You can find this on our website mm-hmm. and it can be sent to info at lamppost.coza. And the same thing, you know, I'm, I'm always talking to makeup artists or photographers. Around the country, um, and they are emailing me, and we talk. They send me their work. I take a look at their work. I respond back to them, but I don't have a strict list of rules. I mean, I think we're all it's here to feeling. help each other, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. Well, I hope so. Well, that's, that's a nice. That's a nice thought that we're all here to help each other. Yeah. Wow. Well, and what a career it has been for you, Jody. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And thank, thank you, you very much for, for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you thank for joining us. Do we have time for the? Ten questions or not really? Um, yeah, okay, let's do it. Let's do the ten questions. This is um, this is a little this fun is to thing. me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to you. This is to you. So that people know when they come and apply to you, they'll know the all important question. Yeah, a little fun thing we like to is... do with all our guests, just to get to know them even more better. Yeah, <laughs> if one can ever find the question. Oh gosh. Well, well if you can't, um, if... I won't. No, here they are. Here okay, they are. Here all right. They are. Don't don't make us look bad. Okay, <laughs> Jody. What is your greatest fear? But you have to answer them quickly. Oh, yeah. uh, my greatest fear, not sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. What is in your handbag? Um, in my handbag, my sunglasses for sure and my red lipstick. Which brand? Uh, lipstick, Tom Ford <laughs> and Chloe sunglasses. There you go. If your house was burning down, what three things other than obviously your family would you take? 
my husband, my cat. Uh, okay, well, I didn't have to add in family. So my cats, for sure. That's one, two. And then uh, any piece of my Gideon collection, the designer I could ca- could carry at the same time. <laughs> but she was the muse for it. Who do you admire and why? Who do I admire? I admire a lot of people. I guess I'd have to say that I admire my husband. He's been a huge rock for me, and he continues to be my support, you know, yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> what characteristic uh, do you most dislike or despise in others? Hmm. I like to keep an open mind about people. So I think I hate it when uh, I, I really despise very closed off people that are judgmental. I don't like really a lot judgy, of judgmental judgy. people. Yeah. And in yourself? <laughs> I... Wish I spoke better on the radio. <laughs> you think you've done your job exceptionally well. <laughs> um, what could I do? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, of course, there's always things to change. I mean, what do I wish? I wish that I actually had more time on my hands every day. It feels like the day goes by so quickly, and I wish I had more time to achieve what I wanted to, which is still a lot. So. Describe yourself in five words. Hmm. Driven. I think funny. Tall, uh, redhead, <laughs> and uh, optimistic. And the yield bucket list question. But you still ye old oh. bucket Oh, ye old. Okay, what do I still want to do? Um, uh, travel. If there's anywhere that I haven't traveled, that's what I want to do. And I love travel. It's possibly the best thing for me. All and right. how do you want to die if you had a say in it? One more, one, mm. two more questions. How would I want to die? I would want to die, I think, on a cruise. So that way, Ooh. there would just be a very simple funeral and I'd be beautifully in the sea. <laughs> Are you a feminist? Yes, I guess I am a feminist. I'm strongly independent and, you know, advocate of women. <laughs> so there you Thank go. you very much, Jody Stinson Enick. I hope I said that all correctly. Thank you very much for I joining us this afternoon. I just called her Jody Enick. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think we must. Uh, great to have you joining us this afternoon. Thanks Thank so you much. so much for your time. <laughs> Asfasia, good to have you back. And uh, we'll be back with you next week, Thursday, for another I edition. I will be back with you next week, oh, Thursday. Oh, yes, that's you right. Won't be back. I won't be here. Long story short, Fatia. Uh, back next week, Thursday, for another edition of Between Two Femmes. This is cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.